Welcome to Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokie sports. I'm Justin Cochola alongside Tim Hurth. It's Thursday, November 19th. We're talking about another Hokies football loss, this time to Miami. We preview the upcoming game against Pitt, assuming it's a go, and then recap the ACC Week 11 action, take a look at Week 12. We do some lines, but first, Tim, what's going on? I'm tired, Justin. I'm tired. I feel like I've been doing nothing but running for the past, I don't know, two days. Um, I've been in two different states. I've been... Man, I've been all over. So, GPS, man, what a wonderful invention that was. You know, do you remember the days when we used to have to print, like, Maps Quest before you went somewhere? Did you do that? Oh, yeah. I mean, my uh, my grandfather owned a florist, and he would whip out the atlas to <laughs> figure out where we were going in the city. Like I a, remember like those a freaking days. atlas in the back of the, the car. Yeah. Uh, and my, for you my dad was an atlas younger guy. younger than 25, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Yeah, I mean, my dad, he, he would buy the, I guess you bought an updated Atlas like once every few years. You know, we used to go vacationing in Boone and anytime we got lost, usually on the Blue Ridge Parkway, if we took a couple turns off, my dad busted out the Atlas, the compass, the charts, you know, the front seat looked like the uh, ship's captain's quarters from the 1800s, just charts upon charts. My dad would figure yeah. out where we are, figure out how to get us home, but the GPS, Modern day invention. It's wonderful. You just plug in the address and then you hit go and it takes you the way you want to go to where you want to go, right? Yeah, no, of course. No, no, it doesn't, Justin. It doesn't. Because due to the pandemic, I had to travel separately from my coworker. We were headed to Charleston, West Virginia from my area, which is the Harrisonburg area of Virginia. And let me tell you a story. Okay, this tale starts with a young man headed on a journey to go to wild, wonderful West Virginia with just a hope and a prayer. And he starts driving down the road and it's the interstate and it's fine. And he got out of work late. So it's five o'clock, which is fine. Darkness is okay because you got your GPS. Well, I start heading past Clifton Forge, Virginia, and it gets dark. Clifton Forge, Gray County, Allegheny County. Some people listening to this podcast are from there. So. Uh, Shouts out to you. You know who you are. Um, And I start driving. Get past Clifton Forge. Push on past into West Virginia. And I get off on what is a divided highway. I get off where my GPS tells me to get off. It's pitch black. Doesn't matter. Divided highway. Lots of lights. Lots of action. Somewhere between me getting off the interstate and this divided highway and my zoning out into a podcast about alien abduction, actually, which was really not the right time. Um, I realized that I hadn't seen a human being for 20 minutes. Um, and I looked ahead and noticed there were no lines on the road anymore. And that was mildly concerning. But what was the most concerning thing was I had motion sickness like you read about in a book. I mean, I was sweating. I, I didn't know what to do. I, I've never gotten so sick to the point where I just got hot, but I was hot. I mean, this, we're talking about a, what, a 50 degree day. It's pretty chilly in the car. I'm sweating. This road keeps doubling back on itself like an overcooked piece of fettuccine. And I mean, I can't anticipate the turns because I'm not getting enough warning on what this road is going to do because there's no signs. You know, there's none of those hints on the side of the road like the yellow, this is going to turn really harsh sign or the yellow, this is your suggested speed limit for this turn sign. 
it was a 55 mile an hour road. But if you went 55 miles an hour continuously on this road, you would have landed in a thicket of trees. So I'm taking hairpin turns at 55, throwing myself and my luggage all over the cabin of my vehicle. I call a timeout. Timeout. Can't do it. I get so frustrated to the point where I'm not seeing anyone. And, and I don't know what the population of possum is in West Virginia, but possums are everywhere in whatever part of West Virginia I was. And they were the only thing keeping me from feeling so extremely alone is that about every mile I'd pass a possum crossing the road. So I sat there, I pulled over, sat to the side of the road, and I told myself I literally had this thought. It was pitch black. I couldn't see anything. Hadn't been able to see anything for 15, 20 minutes. I was motion sick. I was about to throw up. Were your so, lights on? Yes, the lights were on. Doesn't help a whole lot. I, this is such an oppressive darkness out there. It's hard to describe how dark it was. Um, the, dark, the darkness was like the consistency of soup, it felt like. Um, but I honestly thought about just walking out of the car and maybe making a pillows out of some clothes that I had in my bag and just sleeping right there on the side of the mountain that I was on because I would have rather risked the potential hyperthermia and the potential bear combat that may have befalled upon me rather than get in that car and squiggle down the road a little bit more and yak all over my interior. I thought about it, and then I checked my GPS because I figured something had to be wrong, and I looked in the settings, Justin, and do you know what threw me off and ruined my night? No, I don't. I had avoid toll roads checked. So I beg everyone, please, before you use Google Maps again and before you travel in the state of so West GPS Virginia. didn't steer you wrong. No. It well, listened to you. Oh, no, Justin, it steered me wrong. I, I will tell you, they could charge $100 at the I, toll I think house. It's user error. No, they could charge $100 at the toll house, and you pay that $100 if you're going into West Virginia. Trust me, do not take the back roads in West Virginia at night unless you know where you're going. Because I didn't, and it was hell. And it was terrible. I unchecked that. It took me back to the interstate in about an hour. I got to my destination. But that was a harrowing, harrowing journey. But anyway, I'm here. All smiles. West Virginia turned out to be awesome. I got to go to Point Pleasant, which if anybody else is listening, you're saying, I think I know what Point Pleasant is. Yes, that is where the Mothman originated. So I got to drive around the TNT bunker area uh, where he was sighted back in the 60s. Um, I got to go all over Point Pleasant, which is a cool town. Saw the Mothman statue. Highly, highly recommend if anyone is in the area of Point Pleasant, go check that out. It's really cool. Um, and where the uh, Kanawha, I think it's how you pronounce it, and Ohio Rivers kind of meet there is really pretty. So the trip itself was awesome. Um, getting there, not so much. Uh, what I would do if, if you're listening to this right now and you use Google Maps, go into your settings. Make sure you have that box unchecked. You want the toll roads. You've, you've had a really rough time in the car. The last Can you tell weeks. I'm stressed? Yeah. I'm, I'm worried about you. Like, I feel like something else is going on where you just keep finding yourselves in, in the situation. But yeah, I mean, I know what you're talking. I've been lost before at night and it's pitch black and it's it's miserable. Actually, one time, you know, going back to the Atlas story uh, before GPS, we were actually in college. So maybe GPS existed, but not everybody had it um, or it was like too expensive to use on your phone. So our friend on Twitter, uh, what is Matt's Twitter handle? Scared Moose? I think like, it's Scare, it scare A Moose. Scare Moose? Scare Moose? I don't understand that Twitter handle I don't either. at all. I didn't know he was uh, into don't follow Moose. Him. He's not Mooses. worth a follow. I'm not advocating to, for him to get follows here. This is a story about going to see him um, race cars. He was a race car 
um, enthusiast. And uh, yeah, we were lost. So we were driving um, from Blacksburg to Danville and we got turned around because we needed to find this road called Kentuck. And so we just, we keep driving on Kentuck, but Kentuck keeps turning into itself. Like every road is Kentuck. (laughs) So we stop in this gas station and we're like, uh, um, yeah, we're kind of lost here. We're looking for uh, uh, VIR. And the guy's like, oh, you need to you need to go out here, turn turn left onto Kentuck, and then you're going <laughs> to keep going. And then you're going to come to a huge intersection. There's going to be four stop signs. And then you're going to turn right onto Kentuck. <laughs> that doesn't and, make uh, no sense to me. Then we got in the car, and uh, he was right. He wasn't wrong. Um, and eventually, we just kind of found our way. But... Um, yeah, that was that was my Atlas story before GPS. So you what know. what were my survival odds? Do you think? Give me kind of where you'd put the over under on the percentage chance that I would have survived a night in the West Virginia wilderness with nothing but like clothes and my cell phone. Oh, there's no way I would have even oh, I, had that thought. I was thinking no. it was fairly high. I mean, I'm not an outdoorsman, but I mean, come on. There were possible. Well, here, here's the deal: like there, there's a vehicle that comes across and like hits your car, and then boom, you're dead. You don't even know what happened. You you never wake up because you're dead. That's that, what would happen. That's how that works, from what I understand. Yeah, there's no that's, no, no wakes you up when you're dead. I uh, there was an exit off of uh, Gum Springs on 64. I'm sure some of our Richmond ish followers will know what I'm talking about. Well, there's a side road there called 522, and one night I was struggling to. Um, struggling with my lights. I was trying to get my high beams on and these are like little back roads and uh, I accidentally turned the lights off. That was the longest one and a half seconds of my life. <laughs> Driving down the road, no lights oh. and it was pitch black. Yeah. It, it's hard uh, to describe. Unfortunately, my wife it. was in the car so that, that's a hard one to live down but um, I guess we should talk about some football now. Well, but you know, I I do love talking about those those fun stories to to kick off a you know I'm not gonna say a, a sad episode because I'm kind of over it to be honest. Um, but if we uh, before we jump into that, there are some ACC news and notes I, I want to you know check off the list here. So we're starting to see players uh, opt out. So we've had Keyshawn Artisan, uh, Zion Debose from the Hokies. They're they're gone. Pretty limited roles this year. Didn't play a whole lot. Big loss for Louisville. JV on Hawkins, stud running back. He has opted out of the remainder of the season. Looks like he's going to focus on the NFL draft. Obviously, Paris Ford a few weeks ago from Pitt, the safety. Um, and then, you know, as we uh, transition into the Virginia Tech Miami preview here, you know, Miami had some pretty big COVID problems against Tech. We weren't really sure to what extent, but uh, they've kind of escalated to the point where early in the week, uh, Monday ish, uh, they postponed their next two games. So their season is on hold until December 5th. Uh, they've got a couple of makeup games that are going to go to the 19th. And so that, um, that'll that kind of take us into the preview here. So every, Or the recap, I should say. So everybody saw the game. 25-24 Miami comes from behind to win. Uh, just an incredibly frustrating end to this game for Hokies fans. You know, Miami, they're a team that had been rolling offensively. You've got De'Eric King the week prior who had gone for over 400 yards passing, 100 yards on the ground. 
You know, that's only been done six times in the last, I don't know, eight years, and he's done it two of those six times. But for two and a half quarters, Virginia Tech looked pretty good on both sides of the football for the first time this season. And, you know, things seem to be clicking. I mean, they held leads of 14-3, to 24-13 at different times throughout the game. They found themselves up by one at halftime. But, unfortunately, Tim, Brad Cornelson just uh, just reared his ugly, ugly, ugly head. No. And after the Hokies went up 24-13, there was about six minutes left in the third quarter. The game plan and the approach just completely... It shifted. They went into Mike McCarthy conservation mode. We've got a we've got a lead. Let's go into survival mode, and we hope we hold on. Which and, is and worth exactly... pointing out. That is completely our mo. Yeah, um, that is the Cornelson Fuente approach. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, if you're a Packers fan out there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, McCarthy. Packers would get up big at halftime or big in the third quarter, and then all of a sudden you go into this conservation-style offense and you let the team back in, and you either win the game or you don't. In this case, the Hokies didn't do it. I mean, their final five drives, eight plays, 37 yards, punt. Three plays, five yards, punt. One play, interception. Five plays, five yards, punt. 11 plays, 34 yards, turnover on downs, game over. I mean, this was an offense that looked good for... 36 minutes in the game. It sure did. And, you know, Miami, they take the lead with uh, just about six minutes left in the game. They got the ball twice after that. Two more times. Okay? And I bring that up because this defense that we talk about, Virginia Tech, that has been bad this year. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. They did a standout knockout job this entire game because to me you can argue their toughest matchup maybe their second toughest if you throw North Carolina in there arguably their toughest matchup of the season and given the situation they were in you know if you had told me the defense performed to the level that they did against Miami like there was no way on God's green earth that I think they lose the football game because Miami's defense hadn't done a great job for the majority of the game. And then right. you know, they started settling in. And I think, you know, that that final, those t- two final drives for Miami, their offense got the ball twice. They had two three and outs for a total of six yards. Six plays, six yards. Defense did their job. If you go to no. the offensive side of the ball, you know, Hinden Hooker, He's had his ups this year. He's had his downs. I thought the last five drives were, were a big down for him this season. I thought um, he had played great until really the last three drives of the game, specifically the two drives leading up to that last drive. He, he was bad. I mean, that interception he threw was wildly off the mark. The following drive after picking up a first down, sack for a five-yard loss, incomplete pass, yeah. and then he slips, loses nine yards. They have to punt it away. And I mean, hey. Guys are going to have bad games. I get it. But, you know, it's 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 kind of the second time I've seen Hooker uh, with the game on the line where he starts to kind of – it reminded me a lot of the UVA game last year. Yeah, that that's finish. a good point. It's a good point. And I, I just start to wonder, you know, when the game is on the line, 
You know, you look at a guy like Ian Book in the ACC, you don't have to worry about what's going to happen. Like, that guy's got a clutch factor. You know, if he turns the ball over, it's it's an anomaly. Hinton Hooker, it seems like in high higher pressure situations, struggles a little bit. And it's, you know, it's it's starting to happen more often down the stretch. And, you know, I don't think the coaches put him in the best position to win. I think the offensive line had their struggles over the last few few drives of the game. And, you know, I'm not going to put it all on Hooker. I just, something I noticed, I, I wasn't super impressed with Hooker down the stretch. And, you know, the other thing that's so frustrating, Tim, is Virginia Tech just can't close. No. You know? Right now, the Hokies, they're that closer that you stick in at the end of the game. And if you're a fan of that team, you know he's going to blow it. You can't find the strike zone. They're wildly inconsistent. You don't know what to expect other than the result that you don't want. He reminded he, he They're reminding me right now of Armando Benitez for the Orioles back in the day. <laughs> yeah. You stick that guy in there, the game, he's going to blow it. Yeah. And he just kept blowing it and blowing it and blowing it. And... That's that's really what it feels like the Hokies are right now. And, yeah. you know, I mentioned Hooker struggles over the two of the last three drives, but, again, to me, this is on coaching. Plain and simple, the offensive coaching staff cost Virginia Tech this football game for a second week in a row. They got away from what was working. They got way too conservative, and Miami came in and stole the game. Miami didn't win this game. They took it. And Virginia Tech had 24 points in the first 36 minutes, zero in the last 23. Yeah. And there's it's, just so many various situations you can point to throughout this game, Tim, and you just ask yourself, what's going on out there? It's frustrating um, to be here yet again. We seem to be extremely good at losing out of winning positions, and this is an issue. It's been an issue. And it's like seeing the rerun of a bad movie over and over and over again. Like you're sick of seeing it, but you know everything that's coming and everything that's going to happen. I've never been a fan of the approach of, okay, we're going to call a game a certain way. We're going to set the tone and a certain level of aggression and then completely back off of that way too early, which is what we do. I don't think that changing your aggression level and changing your play calling style is a bad thing in game if there are a few minutes left on the clock. But to do it with a quarter left, a quarter plus, which is typically when this shift happens. If Virginia Tech is up by 10, up by a touchdown with a quarter and a half left, it is a guarantee that we will go into the most milk toast, vanilla, tapioca, flavorless offense that we have ever ever run and it's in order to obviously run the clock out we don't want to make mistakes and i understand all of that but at some point you have to trust your players to continue to execute on the game plan that you came in with and when we back off of our game plan we cannot sustain drives and this is not just evidenced by this year i mean go back look at the kentucky game go back look at the uva game from last year and so many before that I mean, this was an issue for years and years and years, and we still could see it to continue to rear its ugly head. And, you know, it's exhausting. It's exhausting that we're here again talking about it, and it's sad. You know, mixed in with the bad, there was a lot of good. I thought Hooker looked really sharp uh, for the first three quarters of that game. He continues yeah. to look good, bounced back uh, from kind of a tough spot. 
and played really well. I'm confused as to why Jalen Holston doesn't play more. Um, the guy he, to me, he looked like Marshawn Lynch. Yes, this he, week. he's well. I mean, not only did he look like it in pictures before the season, and and you know, anytime we've seen he, him, but he, he ran like, like it. Yeah, yeah. In, so, in the four touches, uh, the four runs he had, and the two catches, and I mean, well, that that's you know, kind of where Holston. I'm going with that, though, Justin. With with a player like Jalen Holston, why is he not seeing the ball more with Khalil Herbert all but ineffective and exactly. gone? Exactly. We we should be seeing why more of him. Happening? I, and I that that's I think frustrating with Holston too. Like one of the plays that he made in the game that I think would probably go relatively unnoticed. It was on one of his two receptions. He made a guy miss on third down to pick up at the time, which was a clutch first down. Which I think the Hokies ended up scoring on that drive. But it was just like, who is this guy? And I mean, Holston is a guy who, you know, he he was a, a higherish recruit. He wasn't like a four star or anything. I don't think coming in. No, might have been. Uh, but he's he's battled some injuries, but I mean that dude looked healthy yeah. against Miami. He looked and healthy and he looked the good. way he was running. And you you only give him six touches. Yeah, that's the part that frustrates me. I think more than anything is we see these things that are popping and working effectively, and then you go back and check the box score, and it just doesn't add up, right? And it's not something that you have to be some kind of football savant to see when something is working, uh, to not lean into a little bit, a little discouraging hats off to Jalen for battling. Um, that couldn't have been an easy position for him to be in the beginning of the season for a guy like that. Who's got that ability to sit there and watch, uh, Khalil come out of the game, not get consistent carries, uh, for Blackshear to be fed the ball on a couple of different occasions, not get consistent carries, uh, to see the quarterback run game leaned on so heavily effectively, but risking your quarterback and to not be able to get a couple of touches or work out a niche that's got to be frustrating and, and he could have hung his head I mean that would be the natural human reaction but he seized the opportunity um, and good for him I mean he he ran like a man on a mission and you love to see it you love to see that fight and we didn't see a defeated Virginia Tech team on this day which is again hats off to the coaching staff on that one the boys looked ready to play and they were playing hard and when you consider what the defense did, I think specifically off of King, who had come off just a miraculous effort against NC State where he looked like the best quarterback in college football this year, for Virginia Tech to neutralize him and effectively play defense for as long as they did and as well as they did, it makes the failings on offense at the end of that game hurt so much more, especially for me as a fan, because I wanted that game. For that Hokie team. I wanted that game. I went in completely apathetic. And a quarter in they had me hooked again. And at the end of that third quarter. Beginning of that fourth quarter. You knew what was coming. Before it happened. And that is. Damning. For the staff. That we continue to stub our toe. On the same coffee table. We cannot figure it out. And you know. Not being able to close. You want to talk about the identity of this program. We've been a program in search of an identity. I think the identity's been there all along. We just didn't want to admit it. We're, we're a football program that can't close. Yeah, well, I mean, to that to that point, like it was a game where I felt like, you know, you're watching in the third quarter. You're like, hey, you know, the Virginia Tech just keeps doing what they're doing. They're going to win this game with ease. Like the game was not in doubt. Like it felt like that 24-13 lead was pretty well intact. No, it was cruise control. They were controlling the entire game. And you felt pretty good about it watching it. And then 
you know, what we just talked about transpired. Talking about not closing, you know, Packer and Durham had some nice, nice stats for the Hokies. And if you missed it, well, here you go. Virginia Tech has lost 11 of 12 against the AP top 10 in, uh, in Fuente's time at Virginia Tech. In the last 10 years, uh, Virginia Tech against ranked teams at home, 1 in 10 since 2010. So that's end of Beamer era and Fuente. Yeah. Uh their their one win was last year against number twenty two Wake Forest. Um Virginia Tech at home. And this this is the one that really just puts a knife through my chest. Since twenty fourteen, twenty four and seventeen. Mm. Now I remember when coming into Lane Stadium was a death sentence. Yeah. Like game over. You're not winning okay the home field advantage was there the crowd is insane and at the time fielding one of the better defenses in the country year in and year out you know what they could do on offense was just kind of a you know icing on the cake but it was literally a death sentence in 24 and 17 over the last six seasons I mean that sucks it's I don't. I don't know place. how. How how better to put it, um, and it's unfortunate because you know we talked about it last week. I mean, it's uh, it's not the same as it was, you know, fifteen years ago when we were in college, um, yeah. not even ten years ago really. So, you know, it's unfortunate. Um, you know, we've talked about some of the coaching things, and I'm kind of tired of talking about what I like out of the coaches and what I don't, because mostly it's what I don't like at this point. Right. You know, we saw some more QB runs on third and six, and it's unbelievable how much they're calling this one particular play, and it's turning into the jet sweep, uh, because it only happens on third and six. They did it last week against Liberty, which we thought was four-down territory. Turned out it wasn't, so you throw Brian Johnson out there, and they did it again this week. First drive after Miami got within five, Virginia Tech at the Miami 37 quarterback run loss of a yard and then they punt and then Fuente after the game says I wanted to get it to fourth and manageable well is getting six yards on two plays not manageable would fourth and six be not manageable if it was third and 18 okay but (laughs) I can't believe you when it's four it's third and six and you're saying we're trying to get what is what's fourth and manageable because you did it on third and four last week or fourth and third and six last week and got it to fourth and four and you still didn't go for it. So what what is fourth right. and manageable like fourth and inches? I, what are we I talking about? I don't understand that thought process. And I mean, it's just frustrating to the point where you could you know the opposite you know, the opposing defenses are all over it at this point. And it's like it's, the jet sweep. It's Occasionally that, it's, it's going to work. It's that lack of pop. aggression and that conservative mindset that I think frustrates me more than anything. You see it creep into everything. And all of our decision-making gets so conservative on the offensive end when things get tight. We lose our identity. And here's what I think the issue is, Justin. We are coached by scared people. We play like a scared football team that cannot handle it in crunch time. And instead well, of I just, understanding, I don't even think it's that necessarily. I think it's. I we think have it an is offensive coaching staff that doesn't know how to adjust 
to the scenarios that are going on inside the game. Like if you if you look at the offensive line, I talked about their struggles. Five of their six sacks were in the last 21 minutes. They had 25 attempts on 150 yards rushing. On their last 10 carries, 16 yards. So did Miami figure something out? Probably. But what adjustments were being made? Because this was over a course of horrendous football on the offensive side sure. over the, those last five drives. So is is it a offensive line issue? My guess is no, because that unit has been dominant for most of the season. Well, here's what I'll say. My gut it, tells me it's on Cornelson. If you're sitting there and you're going to tell me that you're trying to get fourth and manageable on third and six from the Miami 37 at that point in the game, you are scared. Yeah. There is no need to be considered about a fourth and man or be you're worried about a fourth and manageable seven on third and six, third and seven. You're no, like you said, midfield. third and 18, I'm with you, man. But third and seven, third and six, punch it past the sticks. And I'm not trying to make rhymes. I'm just saying we might be out of time. And I don't know if we can fix it, but somebody's got to address this stuff. And to me, we continue to make decisions like a scared coaching staff. Just like when we get up with the lead, we're not worried about extending the lead, Justin. What are we worried about? We're scared of losing losing the lead. That is how we play. Every time we get a little bit ahead, we start thinking about losing again. Or, you know, what what happens if we if we continue to take risks? Well, we might throw an interception. So let's completely change the way we're calling the game in the third quarter. But what's even worse about it, Tim, is why aren't we taking those risks? That's the what I mean. We are scared. Is over. The season's we're scared. Over. Like it doesn't it literally doesn't matter if Virginia Tech wins or loses for the rest of the year. No, it's house money. Because Just go they, go ahead they and can't throw it. Go man. They, okay, everybody gets a bowl this year. Who cares? Okay, if bowl season even happens, you're not going to the ACC championship game. There, there is no coastal division to win. Like you're, you're in a lame duck season. Just pl- play like there's no tomorrow. That's what it. is stopping you from going for it on the Miami 37 on third and six and fourth and seven because you called a ridiculous play on third and six to get it to quote unquote fourth and manageable. Stop, stop saying that's going to make me sick. Okay, I hate that. Your season is over. Yeah. Like, why don't you play like it? Let your hair down. I agree. Let it fly. Let your. I, I just you know don't what? understand what's going. I'm on. I'm tired of the hard, smart. T- what is it? Smart, tough, hard, hard hat, grit. I'm yeah, tired of well, all that. Yeah. The slogan the should be "Let your hair down." Let the slogan down. should just be that "Relax." Be- what was good? The defense I thought was good. Oh my I gosh! Mean, yes. You think if. You know, we said if the defense played like they did, they win. I mean, 100% of the time, they should. They gave up 131 yards on the ground. They allowed 2.7 yards per carry. This is a defense that's been getting trampled all season. Yeah, I mean, and the, the turnaround. struggled to run. There was no chance they win the game, Tim. No. The, the, the turnaround from Justin Hamilton, from one game to the other. If you're not encouraged by that, by a defensive coordinator who clearly changed things, on his side to address issues that were glaring and address them in a way that was so effective against what is a good offense. And look who's heading up that offense on the Miami side, Rhett Lashley, a guy that is as well thought of as you could be as an offensive coordinator that's been an offensive coordinator as long as he has, and come out with that performance with a defense that is, I would say, ill-equipped. They are a talented defense, but they're not a defense that, quote-unquote, would be tailor-made for that scheme. Man, round of applause. To the entire yeah. 
defensive coaching staff. That was impressive. And I thought Hewitt played his best game in a Hokie jersey. It oh, was I mean, like it 100%. was like Indomitian Sue had possessed him. Dominated. Just yeah. crazy. So hats off, man. I, I can't say enough good things about that defense. And that's part of the yeah. frustration here is that that defense played a game worthy of beating a ranked team, you know? And to see the other side not reciprocate is tough. But yes, yeah. well, that made did, me proud they, as can didn't. be. Right. And and that's what's so frustrating is it's not like Virginia Tech's offense, you know, just got dominated the entire game. Like, you can almost accept that. It worked for more than half the game. And then they got way too conservative, which, again, is, is on the coaches. Uh, you know, I thought Dax probably had his best game in two years. I thought he played great all day long. Also had a sack, led the team in tackles. I wish they would make Dax available to the press, to the media, like every week, because he he will tell you what it is that's going on. He, he said Hamilton, they they went back to the Bud Foster defense. They started mixing more of that in. Yeah. Why did we get away from that? I mean, I understand, you know, Hamilton wants to come in. He wants to run his own scheme. I'm not saying don't do that. But you didn't have time to go out and get the guys to run your scheme. That's what we've been saying all season. You, you got to be able to call defense with the players that you got. And we saw a defense that we saw over the second half of last season right. against Miami. So right. will that will that sustain? I hope it does. And I, I think it will. That That's what's been so frustrating about this team. You can point to all the losses that they've had on the defensive side of the ball with some of the big names that have, um, you know, departed for, for various reasons. But the core is still there. They just haven't played like we expected them to, like like we know that they can. The special teams, Tim, still struggling. Um, well, some return has Twitter got to figure special this teams out. Good? No. no. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's a very big reason why Virginia Tech is losing these close games, I think. Yeah. I mean, if you look at Blackshear, he opted to let the ball drop on punt returns five times, and it drastically affected field position every single time and towards the end of the game he let two pass him by and they both went inside the 20 and you know my daughter says this all the time she got this from a show she watches we've got to figure this out okay this is a major problem yeah and robinson is clearly struggling with confidence blackshear doesn't want to field the punts what else what else we got because it's not working right now it's costing the Hokies field position it's costing them the ball because they keep turning it over, and it's costing them in critical times in the game. It's got to improve. There's yeah. got to be somebody on that team that is confident back there. Yeah, it's it's confidence, and again, that lack of confidence, and I'll go back to saying it, we're playing scared still. Um, and a lot of those decisions on those punt returns, um, you know, it, we seemed afraid to catch the ball. That's the only explanation I have, because to me, it was a fairly elementary decision to go out there and catch it. Um, you know, I was screaming at my TV as the ball was dropping, go get it, go get it, go get it, go get it. Um, you, you can't do that. And th- those critical mistakes, especially on punt return unit, have been tough. And I know Shabest is seen as a good coordinator, a good coach. Um, he's got a heck of a resume. And I'm sure he would be the first to tell you he would have liked to have seen the ball caught there. But as you said, uh, we, we've got to figure that out. And again, these critical mistakes um, really shouldn't be happening on a team that was heralded as potentially uh, the best in a long time for Virginia Tech. So that's where my my frustration is. These things should be cleaned up by now with this team and with this staff. 
this is not right. a first year, second year staff. These sort of elementary issues, um, your quarterback not knowing when to avoid a sack, throw the ball away, um, easy stuff. We, we got to get this cleaned up, and and I think that's the really the the yeah, that's a critical thing to point out for a coaching staff is that your players are making elementary mistakes, and we see that a lot week in and week out. And, and it's you know it like you said, well, it's at the yeah. point where I almost don't want to talk about it because it feels like we're saying the same things every week. You know? Yeah, I feel I feel like you know half of my notes don't change because right. we keep seeing the same things happen over and over. Well, you know what you know what should happen when that happens? You should be removed from your position. Like yeah. make a mistake once, struggle one week, got it, okay? But you've got to be able to make adjustments going forward in the season. And Virginia Tech keeps doing the same crap every single week. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's been going on for years. And they'll throw in that one game where everything clicks and they look great. And then they'll turn it around with oh, they lost the Liberty. And then they'll turn it around with a you know, a not a complete performance against Miami. And who knows what will happen against Pitt. But, yeah. I mean, if you're the Hokies, like, where do you go from here? you got three games remaining. You're on the road at Pitt. you got Clemson and UVA at home. Uh, Pitt is a horrible matchup for this offense. It you is. Know? Uh, Clemson, they're not winning that one. And UVA, we said it earlier this year in the preview, you wanted to play UVA early this year. You don't want to play them late. Yeah. And it seems like they're figuring it out now. So... Tech could easily lose all three of those games, and I'm not being, again, negative Justin here, but realistically, there is a very realistic shot they lose all three of the games, and sure. I don't think they will, but it could happen. Either way, <clears throat> they're in danger of their first losing record during the regular season since 92, and there's been a lot of talk about Fuente's future here, the buyout and whatnot, and you know, I think it's something that has to be addressed, but... Look at what just South Carolina just did. You've got Will Muschamp. They had the buyout of $13 million stated from within the administration. Okay, and this is key. That there had been growing concern among school officials and supporters that continued fan apathy could cost South Carolina more money in the long run. And this is a school that has a budget shortfall currently in the same ballpark as tax. And yeah. I, I think the reasoning is, is, is warranted. And I think Virginia Tech, is, that defines Virginia Tech right now. Right. That is where Virginia Tech is at. And Muschamp is a guy who went 28-30 and 30 at SC. Worse than Fuente, Fuente's record, but it is the SEC, I might add. And I think these programs are basically in the exact same spot. They care about football. I'm not going to compare the fan bases. I'd say it's a fan base that cares and expects to compete. And you know Clemson and their success is driving them out of their minds. But will the Hokies be able to move in that direction? I think it's a strong possibility after the season concludes, more specifically after January 1st when that buyout drops. But, I mean, it's really another conversation for another episode, and they've got three games left. They've got to try and figure it out, um, and that starts with Pitt this week. But I think the... Uh, what we saw happen to Muschamp, Tim, is it, it's uh, it, it should give Virginia Tech the idea that okay, it's not it's not impossible to move on at this point. No, it, it's not, and I'll get more into that on our post mortem on the season in a few weeks. As far as what can be done, what should be done, what would I do? Yada yada yada. Not that any of that matters. Anybody cares? Um, 
but you're right. It's South Carolina is a very close proxy to our football program. And, you know, they certainly saw fan apathy uh, as a critical issue. And when you consider attendance, spending and donations and how much that means to our football program, what the football program means to the university, um, you would hope that people would be paying attention. But I think uh, Virginia Tech's administration to this point has proven that they don't give a, a rat's a about uh, football at the moment. So maybe that will change. Uh, but, you know, at least for now, that's what we're working with. And uh, yeah, again, an, an, an in summation, uh, another game in the Fuente era that feels a lot like all the other games in the Fuente era. Yep, and the Hokies now 16-16 and 16 since September 18th, 2018. Let's go ahead and jump into the Week 11 ACC recap, Tim. 59-53 UNC over Wake. This game was absolutely nuts. And Wake was up 45-24 in the fourth quarter. UNC outscores them 28-8 in the fourth. 21-point comeback by UNC, largest in school history. A total of 1,350 yards of combined offense. 979 through the air. 10 combined touchdowns. 6 from Howell, 4 from Hartman. There's only been two quarterbacks in ACC's history that have thrown for more than 550 yards in a game. Deshaun Watson, Stephen Morris, and now Sam Howell. <laughs> and Howell is the second quarterback in ACC history to have six passing touchdowns and a rushing touchdown. Lamar Jackson was the other. So, pretty incredible performance by him. Just a, just It's one of those games where it's like... Each team took like a scoring pill before the game started, and they just went off, and and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, don't forget shout out Hartman too. I mean, Sam Hartman had a whale of a game Blake at four twenty nine, um, four touchdowns, a rushing touchdown. You look at Christian Beal Smith, who just tore it up on the ground, averaged almost seven yards a carry. This was one of those games where it was like defense was completely optional. Um, you know, Big Twelve style matchup, and kind of reinforced what we thought already which was unc's defense super shaky but their offense man how you can't really say enough about how good he's been in his first two years um you know the running backs again williams and carter flashed but newsome and diami brown just had a freaking field day on that wake forest secondary and they end up getting a win and and what would be a, a crucial win given how the acc standings look right now um you know about halfway through that game if you're watching that score line you thought wake was going to run away with it and then uh, you know, talk about resiliency. UNC uh, fired off the cannons and ended up winning for a big win for them in, in what is a, a quasi-rivalry game. Notre Dame 45, BC 31. Uh, Boston College just couldn't stop the Irish, specifically Ian Book. Book had 283 yards passing, three touchdowns, also added 85 yards on the ground. Uh, Irish had this 31-16 at half, and that was too much for BC to overcome. Uh Rush for 274 yards in the game, and uh, yeah, don't look now, but Notre Dame is 8-0, number two in the country. Yeah, and I can't really say enough about Ian Book, and it's not just his passing. Like you said, it's kind of the clutch trait that he's got, kind of like a little Michael Jordan light where he wants the ball in his hands, and he really does well in, in clutch positions. But I think what really makes him special is uh, his ability to extend plays. I mean, when that pocket breaks down, Ian is booking it, usually for a first down. Uh, And that's really, really helped out that offense. And, you know, as long as they continue to get that from Ian Book, they don't need dynamite. They don't need 350 yards passing a game. But if they continue to get that clutch first down when they need it from a guy that continues to, I I just, I can't say enough about that scrambling ability, Uh, you know, 10 for 85 in this game. So you're talking about 8.5 yards of carry, super effective. 
Um, yeah, I mean, Kyron Williams not really doing a whole lot, and obviously because he was injured. Um, but they still won. They found a way to do it against a Boston College team that I think is, is you know, not only well-coached, but they've proven this year they're a tough out. Um, so Notre Dame, a team that I was underwhelmed with at first, and now I'm pretty whelmed, Justin. I'm pretty whelmed. Yeah, they're, they're definitely playing better down the stretch. Uh, Virginia 31, Louisville 17, first game post-Hawkins era for the Cardinals. Uh, Malik Cunningham had 197 yards rushing on 20 carries, but uh, it wasn't enough. Cardinals uh, just had trouble getting going through the air, and uh, if you exclude the last drive of the game, uh, which was just a one-play drive, and then the clock ran out, Louisville fumbled twice and had a turnover on downs on their final three possessions, which let UVA pull away in the fourth because of it. Uh, and they are now three and four. And, uh, you know, I mean, you, you can't blame UVA for taking advantage of Louisville's turnovers. That's been a problem for Louisville all season. But uh, certainly UVA looks like they're playing better. They didn't uh, quite have the uh, performance on the ground uh, that they've been having uh, against the Cardinals. But, um you know, a pretty just average performance offensively, but uh, got the job done defensively. Yeah, and I mean, I think if you're looking for bright spots, Virginia offensively super efficient, and they have a system that gets the job done and gets the wins. And they got a quarterback right now who's playing it well and, and living in that system and thriving in it. I think Armstrong looked good at 15 and 23 for 200. That's kind of where you want him living and where he will live in the in the system. But what you see is those two rushing touchdowns. You know, they jump out at you 15 for 60. He's not hitting the long ones. But if you watch the game, he was extremely effective. And a guy that I think is going to be really good uh, for Virginia is wide receiver Lavelle Davis. I don't know if you've seen this guy. I don't know oh, how yeah, tall like six, he seven. is. Is he 6'7"? He's yeah. an absolute monster. Um, he's got really good control in the air attacking the football, which sometimes those taller guys can seem a little clumsy. He's very smooth, and I think he's got a bright history ahead of him. But he was the leading receiver on a yardage basis. Um, and that's a guy, if they can figure out how to continue to get the ball in his hands, I mean, he could be a real playmaker at that height, especially in the red zone. Uh, but again, effectively using a system that they know extremely well. And at this point, Virginia's starting to click. And, you know, if you're looking down the road a little bit, that game against the Hokies is going to be a good one. NC State 38, FSU 22. Uh, another strong performance from Bailey Hockman, 265 through the air, three touchdowns. Uh, Bam Knight led the way on the ground with 94 yards and a rushing score. That moves the Wolfpack to 5-3. And, and Florida State falls to 2-6. and six. Yeah. So NC State fans rejoice. I mean, this is a record that I didn't think NC State would be able to attain uh, beginning of the season. Now they're sitting at 5-3 and three with winnable games ahead on the schedule. Um, Doran, again, made the right calls in hiring assistant coaches. Third down percentage, just wanted to shout out Tim Beck, absolutely crushing it on the season, but how crucial it is uh, to be effective in those highly important downs. Bailey Hockman, can't say enough about what Tim Beck has done as a quarterback's coach with a quarterback that looked like he was far, far in, in over his head after last year, the beginning of this year. If you watch Bailey Hockman in the last couple of games, Miami and Florida State, you would see a guy that looks completely composed, uh, keeping plays alive with his feet, keeping his head pointed downfield, uh, and hitting throws. Surprising. Uh, Zonovan Knight being as good as he is, not really surprising. Again, extremely effective. Um, and NC State with another win. Shout out in this one especially to Thayer Thomas, um, who set career records as far as yardage and catches goes. Uh, 135 yards on 11 receptions and two touchdowns. That's a big day from a slot receiver. Um, and NC State, again, getting a huge win. Uh, so I got some good news, Tim, and I think this has been an underrated story for the Hokies this year, but <clears throat> just the uh, 
the abuse, the cardboard cutouts have been put through to have to sit there and watch some of the performances. So uh, they get a break this week. Uh, Virginia Tech is traveling to Pitt, a place that Virginia Tech has not played particularly well over the years, but uh, let's see if they can turn it around. So this game is going to be 4 o'clock on the ACC Network, uh, so it should give you plenty of time to get the Christmas lights on the house, which uh, I think I'm going to do this weekend. Uh, Hokies, a three-point favorite, and... You know, this game is is up in the air as to whether it gets played. It seems to be trending towards the direction of being played. Pitt's had some COVID issues uh, over the last week, postponed their game because of um, uh, those issues. And, um, you know, my guess is if they don't play this game, it gets moved to December 19th. Uh, But it's probably going to be something that, you know, we either find out like Friday or, you know, Saturday morning that they can't go. But... I think, you know, if anything is proven out over the course of this season, typically if you haven't heard anything by Thursday night, it seems to happen uh, one way or the other. So um, I think, Tim, Pitt is uh, is doing the opposite of UVA right now. So yeah, they're, they're coming into this game. They're losing four. They've lost four of their last five after they started 3-0. And Kenny Pickett missed some time in there with an ankle injury. Uh, he should be back as long as, again, there's no COVID issue on, on his side. But um, if you look at Pitt's defense, you know, first in the ACC and allowing just 295 yards per game, they are dominant against the run. 78 rushing yards per game, 2.4 yards per carry. And that doesn't mean this defense is dominant from top to bottom because they're not. They've been particularly vulnerable in the passing game throughout the season. And, um, you know, we've, we've talked about the Paris forward departure. Um, you know, that's something where the Hokies should be able to take advantage. I went back and looked at the QB performances and Pitt's losses. So this is these are the quarterbacks playing against Pitt. So Ian Book threw for over 300 yards and three touchdowns. That was Notre Dame's really kind of like coming out party. Um, 45-3. That was the week after the Louisville game. De'Eric King threw for 222, four touchdowns. They win 31-19. Fodrakovic, 358, three touchdowns. They get a 31-30 overtime win. And then Devin Leary, 336 and four touchdowns, also an overtime win. So there's some big numbers being put up, some big-time performances being put up against this defense. And you can certainly throw Hinden Hooker in there as, you know, probably one of the best, if not the best option. I'd probably give De'Eric King the slight nod over uh, – Hinden Hooker at this point, but very close. It's one A and one B, um, so I think there is uh, definitely the potential to take advantage. I think uh, where the Hokies are going to struggle is in the run game, and and that's part of what makes Hinden Hooker so successful. Pitt stacks the box; they put a lot of pressure on the run game, and um, the one advantage that the Hokies have, and <clears throat> again, this is up to the coaches to make to make sure this happens, is to take advantage of what that defense is giving them through the air because there are going to be plays to be had, plays to be made. The offensive line is going to have to play a strong game. There's no doubt about it. It would obviously be beneficial to the Hokies if they are able to move the ball on the ground, you know, whatsoever. Um, You know, it seems like Khalil Herbert should be back in this game uh, at full strength after a limited performance with eight carries and 49 yards. But um, I don't know, Tim, about what what you're thinking from the uh, Pitt defensive standpoint, but um, I certainly think there is. Um, I certainly think they can be had through the air. 
Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's the key, right, is, is you don't want to be running into the strength of their defense, which is that run defense. Um, you know, pass defense, as you mentioned, not only did they have attrition, but even before they had attrition, they, they didn't look good. Uh, this is a game where we're not going to want to see the same offensive approach that we have seen, which is uh, use Hendon Hooker as a quasi-battering ram. You know, you're going to want a little more nuance. We're going to want a little more creativity in the passing schemes and the routes. And we're going to want big plays in the wide receivers. And I hope that's what we're going to go in and try to do. Um, you know, this feels like a game Trey Turner can come out there and play really well in. I'd like to see Blackshear used out on, uh, you know, in the slot more than we have. I think we're seeing a lot more of Blackshear in the backfield, a lot due to injury, I think, but a lot could have been schemed better uh, because as we saw this past week, and I think, I think Holston should have been seeing much more of the ball out of the backfield. But, you know, as good as Blackshear is in space and as good as his hands seem to this point, Really would have liked to have seen him out there in the slot. I think this is the perfect time to go ahead and throw him out there and let him flourish because this Pitt team has a hard time covering anyone with a pulse. Um, you know, if if we don't come out and take advantage of that, I'm going to be pretty disappointed. So that's my take on the Pitt D is obviously <laughs> don't run at them. They want it. Go ahead and throw the football and move the chains. So if you look at the Pitts offense, it's uh, it's your standard Pitt offense under Mark Whipple. Way too much Kenny Pickett and no run game. And if the Hokies defense can play like they did last week against Pitt, uh, they should be in a good position to win. And I, I think Pitt, it was unbelievable to me. They haven't had a rusher even come close to approaching 100 yards on the ground this year. The, their highest leading rusher in a game was Vincent Davis, who had 66 yards against Syracuse. Like, that blew me away. Yeah. That's how bad their rushing attack is it's not um, good. if you had thought about Pitt coming into the season you know the two receivers that would have really popped out to you were shocky jock louis just a great name god i'm glad you said Mack. that yeah shocky jock louis shocky god, jock just rolls louis. off the tongue shocky jock uh so shocky jock and to sear mac um they've had relatively disappointing seasons i'd say their biggest threat in the past game right now is freshman jordan addison uh, and he's a guy who's really kind of emerged over the last three games. He had eight catches for 147 against Miami, 11 catches for 127 against Florida State. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what this offense can do. Um, if the Pitt offense can come in and run all over Virginia Tech, which, you know, based off of what we saw last week, we hope the Hokies have, have made adjustments to combat that going forward for the remainder of the season, then, um, you know, that would be kind of a surprise if Pitt was able to do that. But, um I think the Hokies have certainly been a little bit more short up in the secondary. I think the the core of that defense has played relatively the same. Dak looked really good last week. Love to see him build, or did I say Dak? Dax uh, looked really good last week. Uh, would really like to see him, um, you know, put put together another great performance. Um, and then you know Jared Hewitt, Justice Reed, um, you know those guys leading the way on the defensive line. So um, I don't know what your take is on the pit offense. It's certainly better, Tim, when Kenny Pickett is leading it. Uh, but that doesn't mean that, you know, I love Kenny Pickett either. No, it's one of those guys that we've kind of always been tough on. We've been on hard on Kenny. Yeah. yeah. Uh, maybe unfairly at times. But no, you know, Kenny's not a guy that, that really scares you. Um, really nobody in the pit offense really puts the fear of God into anyone, I don't think, and that's not really a knock on them. They just haven't been effective this year. 
and, and that's something that I think, you know, is a little different than what we're used to seeing because of how ineffective they've been on the ground. As you mentioned, the struggles from running back from this pit team continue to mystify. Um, however, they do just enough on offense to where you can't just come out there and mail it in on defense. Uh, so, you know, Kenny Pickett experience. The guy does know how to win football games. I'll give him that. Um, you know, he's got experience and, and, you know, that's half the battle, certainly talent wise. I don't think he's that bad. And athletically he's, you know, he's pretty good, but he's just not one of those quarterbacks. I think that you would put in the good tier of, of the ACC. I think almost his entire career he's been in the, he's okay tier, which is unfortunately enough, uh, to beat the Hokies this year. You don't have to put an elite game together, uh, to beat us. And I think that's one of the things that we're going to have to focus on is, Yes, schematically speaking, last week was so much better from our defense. We finally looked like we leaned in a little bit uh, into the successes of Bud, as you mentioned, and working some of those schemes and some of those looks in. I'm hopeful that we'll continue to do that and, and neutralize the pit offense, but there's always the opportunity that they do just enough to win the game. Um, and, and, you know, with a guy like Kenny Pickett, you wouldn't be surprised if he comes out there and has one of his 250 to 300 yard type ball games that he seemingly has every few games. And that wouldn't be surprising at all. So what's, what's your prediction for this one? I, I think, I think, I wish I was more confident saying this. I think Virginia Tech is going to win. And I'm saying that because Virginia Tech should win on paper. I get that this is a tough matchup because Virginia Tech likes to run the football. Pitt wants you to run the football. What's frustrated me to this point in Virginia Tech's season, and still does, is that we cannot seem to get our wide receivers separation. Now there's two parts to that equation. Is it athletic ability on the wide receivers part? Partly. Is it scheme on the offensive coordinators part? Partly. Um, we've got to figure out how to marry the two and make the most out of our wide receivers and get them affected and get them that two to three yards of separation that they thrive on. If we can't do that, we're going to lose the football game. But I, I have faith that we will. Um, I think we'll do just enough. And I think when you have a guy like Hendon Hooker on your team, I like your odds when it comes to having to break down and throw the football. Um, you know, He's gotten a lot of hate, Hendon, uh, not for the last game, but the game before. And I think a lot of people are doubting his arm. And I think this is going to be the game where he puts those doubts to bed again. I expect a big game from Hendon. I expect a big game from the wide receivers. And I expect Hokies to win by 14 points, 21 to 35. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, I think, um, <clears throat> you know, really what I'm looking for from really both sides of the ball is four quarters of consistency. You know, I think if the D plays like they did last week, Virginia Tech wins. Um, you know, my concern, like we stated earlier, is the inability to really adjust throughout the game adapt a game plan <clears throat> that seems to be a, a really really big challenge for the staff and you know the the model to beat Pitt is there BC did it NC State did it if you go back and look at those game tapes you know look at what Miami did look at what Notre Dame did like you know the the model is there to beat Pitt um I think Virginia Tech's a better football team yeah like from for sure you know if, if you go position by position now I think Pitt is certainly far better on the defensive line. And I think that is going to be, you know, the battle of, of the day is that defensive line versus that Virginia tech offensive line. I mean, it's, it's the strength of each team. So I think um, that's going to be the, the matchup that I'm most looking forward to watching. And if the Hokies are able to run the ball at all, like literally at all, 
that means they're winning because Pitt doesn't allow anybody to run the football. So um, really, really uh, looking forward to watching that matchup all day. You know, if you remember uh, last year, Virginia Tech beat a very similar Pitt team uh, that was actually better from top to bottom on defense, 28 to nothing. Offensively, they were pretty much the same. And, um, you know, I think the Hokies, again, they're going to have to find success through the air. They're not going to be able to survive this game giving Hooker the ball 20-plus times. Not sustainable. Not going to happen. Agreed. So it's going to be on the shoulders of Hooker and his receivers to put points on the boards. And, you know, I think if James Mitchell can come back and back into the fold, he wasn't there last week. Um, You know, I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of success on the ground, but... You know, who knows? Maybe maybe they'll shock us. So I'm kind of with you, Tim. I, I've got the Hokies winning 27-19 in this one. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if this game was super close and went to overtime um, just because I think, uh, you know, I, I think Virginia Tech is, is much better on paper than Pitt, um, but their execution is not great. And so I think that allows a team like Pitt in. Pitt has some issues with penalties. Uh, they've got Narduzzi mouth on the sideline. So, you know, we'll kind of see what happens there. It's always exciting to see what he's going to complain about. But I'm going to go ahead and uh, think the Hokies get off, get off the pine here, get a win for the first time in a couple of weeks, and uh, get that record to 5-4. and four. So I've got the Hokies at 27-19. to 19. And, again, that's 4 p.m. on the ACC Network, which, by the way, <laughs> what the ACC is doing to Virginia Tech and UVA fans this year is a joke. It, I mean, it really pisses me off. And I have the ACC network, but a good portion of that viewing audience doesn't because they're cable and they have Comcast. I mean, I don't, I can't think of more than two games that weren't on the ACC network this year for either one of those schools. Can yeah, you? I cannot. And can you get a, can you literally sell your ads to somebody other than an infomercial? Well, you know what scares me? And this is a tangent. Clearly they don't have any takers on the ads, which worries the hell out of me that we're seeing the spurtle in the tack shaver in the tack light. I mean, Bell and Howell are the only people buying ads right now. And that's concerning. Um, You know, I, I I would be comforted to see any sort of standard advertisement, but we just don't get them. I mean, and it's a year where you know everybody's going to be watching. Yeah. Because nobody's at the games. And nobody wants to touch but it. But you know what? Maybe if you worked out your contractual agreement with Comcast, that would open up another revenue stream. Yeah, maybe but, maybe I that's mean, part of it, Justin. Maybe. Maybe I'm just an idiot and can't think, oh, wait, I just did think outside the box. Wow. Okay, that was hard. Anyway... Let's look at week 12, the things that frustrate me, you know, 2020, but that's one of them. I'm just kind of tired of it. It's like you're, you're like alienating your two Virginia schools because their cable provider and you can't come to an agreement. So that's their fault. Like it just doesn't make any sense. Um, Friday night lights, Tim Syracuse at Louisville. Um, you know, Maybe that's more interesting now that Javion Hawkins is, is not there. Clemson at FSU, noon, ABC, Wake Forest at Duke was postponed. Uh, so there's only four games on the slate. Abilene Christian at UVA, Liberty at NC State. 
um, and then the Virginia Tech game. So five total games. What uh, what are you most looking forward to this week? You know, Justin, that is an absolutely fantastic question. Uh, there's not a whole lot, as you mentioned. It's an extremely strange week as far as the scheduling goes, but I think the thing that I'm mostly looking forward to is seeing how NC State and Liberty play because I'm so curious as to how Liberty is going to play against a ACC team not named Virginia Tech uh, because that game still obviously bitter about it. Um, you know, will NC State have an easier time stopping Liberty? I kind of think they will, but you know, I'm not sure, and I think this is a nice litmus test to at least see, hey, how big of a deal is Freeze? Is he the real deal? Or is he a flash in the pan? You know, I, I don't know. I don't know what he is with Liberty. But, um, you know, obviously I don't think he's long for the program. I think a lot of SEC schools are going to be beating down his door in the near future. Um, but I'm interested to see that. And then, you know, the, other than that, there's nothing really on the schedule that jumps out to me. Um, honestly, it's a pretty brutal week. Yeah. It definitely is ACC-wise. It was interesting. I saw a free sign that um – extension with liberty which i oh, guess yeah. is just like his thank you to them because they'll get the the buyout i guess from whatever school hires them but um right. yeah that liberty nc state game i i definitely i probably would watch it if it wasn't on watch espn so i'll probably just wait and see the highlights because i i don't like watching games on watch espn if i don't have to but yeah definitely think nc state will win that game uh by more than three and a half which uh will take me into are doing line segment, Tim. Ugh. So, yeah, a better week for us last week. We both went two and one. Winning we're, weeks? We're above 500. What? Enter the okay, reggae horn sound away. effect. Uh, so, I had Wake Forest, NC State as wins, and I lost SMU, which was my random pick. So, pony down. <laughs> you had NC State and Indiana. Indiana, 24 nothing went over Michigan State. Yeah. Lost to UNC, uh, Wake spread. And we both had Pitt, who did not play. So that brings our totals to uh, Justin is 15 and 23. Tim is 14, 23, and 1. That gives me the slight edge. I love how close and miserable we are together. Terrible together. My first pick, Tim, I mentioned <clears throat> NC State minus 3.5. I take it you're probably there as well. Yeah, I mean, NC State minus three and a half feels like a good pick for me. One of the reasons I think is just NC State's defense has been improving, and I still think they struggle, but they struggle with a team more times than not uh, that has a, a run game that can complement an elite passing game. Right now, I don't think that Liberty's run game is going to stress them out too much. The key there is going to be defending the pass and, and really keeping uh, Malik in check in the pocket. Um, and I think they can do that. I think they can do that. I think that they have the athletes, more importantly, on the defensive side of the ball to give Liberty a hard time. I expect NC State to win by at least a touchdown. So that NC State minus three and a half seems like a great play to me. Uh, what's what's your second pick of the week? Second pick of the week is going to be Louisville minus 18 and a half versus Syracuse. Uh, even though Louisville has faced, uh, you know, a departure of an extremely, extremely bright offensive talent. I think they've got enough athletes on the field to run over, run through, and run past kind of a Syracuse program that is just sad um, at this point in time. And, you know, I think that's really more of a statement of how bad I think Syracuse is rather than how good or relatively good I think Louisville is. But either way, I'm taking Louisville minus 18.5 versus the Syracuse sad orange. I'll give you a half point back because I've got Louisville at minus 18. I'll take it. Um, let's, let's go that route together. So I've got that as well. And then I'm going to, I'm going to bank on the Hokies as a, uh, minus three. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna take the Hokies this week, which um, typically doesn't work out too well for me. But our choices are extremely limited, and the uh, Abilene Christian UVA game doesn't have a line. So um, yeah, I'm taking the Hokies minus three. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's a good pick. I I still have a hard time with picking the Hokies, so I'm gonna avoid it. Although obviously, based on my prediction, I would pick what you're picking. Um, give me Florida State plus thirty five and a half versus Clemson. I know what everybody's thinking. Tim, did something happen to you on that West Virginia road? Have you bumped your head? No, I haven't. I just really like large spreads. And if you're going to give me 35.5 points, I'm going to take it, regardless of how bad I think the football program uh, on the underdog side is. Although I will say the one thing that leads me to believe this could be just slightly closer, like a 30-point game instead of a 36-point game, is the fact that FSU still has athletes all over the field. Now, (laughs) they seem a little aimless at times. Um, and they don't put up a lot of fight in a lot of games, uh, but Norvell's working on that. And Clemson, um, you know, I, I think they're the best team in the ACC by far. I think they're probably one of the best teams, if not the best team in the country, but screw it. Give me FSU plus 35 and a half. Um, my, my random pick of the, the week, Sam, it's maybe an underrated game. I'm going to go uh, Coastal Carolina minus five and a half. Uh, this school is 7-0. and uh, They're ranked 15th in the country, which, you know, I, it's, it's 2020. Uh, App State is 6-1, and one, but what I really liked them, Coastal Carolina is 5-1-1 one, one against the spread this year. App State, 1-6. So give me Coastal Carolina. Well, I wanted to pick a game that had kind of a huge importance from a national perspective, something everybody wanted to sink their teeth into. Oh, well, excuse um, me. Sorry. So I'm going to go with the old pick. This is my favorite. I've mentioned it many times, the Spider-Man meme, where two Spider-Men are pointing at each other, and they're the exact same Spider-Man. Uh, two teams with identical play styles. Identical grit in this game on display. Again, national importance. Georgia Southern versus Army. Two teams that are looking to do the same thing to each other that the other is trying to do to them. Offense, offense, offense. Options left and right. Just thrilling old school football. Army right triple now option, favored. Triple option. <laughs> triple option, triple option, triple option. Army favored uh, by four points. I'm, I, I like that bet. I think Georgia Southern has been really, really good this year. Honestly, better than I thought at 6-2. and two. Um, Army, again, Jeff Munkin has really, really, really stood out to me as a guy that knows what he wants to do as far as an identity perspective, does it well, has an Army program that used to be a doormat for the better part of the 2000s, now putting together respectable season after respectable season after respectable season. My grandfather was an Army guy. My uncle's an Army guy. My cousin is an Army guy. I'm an Army Army family through and through. I'd never pick against them. Uh, So go ahead and give me Army. Again, that spread right now is minus four. I think that's a good pick. You can go ahead and lock that one away because I got it. Plus, Georgia Southern has to go all the way up to upstate New York. And upstate New York around this time of year, pretty chilly. Stadium right on the river. Going to be a cold wind blowing. Uh, They're not going to like to hit in that weather. So go ahead, Army minus four, lock it in. Yeah, some interesting uh, other interesting matchups, mostly in the Big Ten. We've got Wisconsin at Northwestern. We've got Indiana at Ohio State. Indiana, number nine in the country, 4-0. Um, I think everybody's pulling for the Hoosiers in that one. So, oh, yeah. Um, yeah it's Big gonna time be, Hoosier uh, this year. Going to be an interesting weekend. Uh, a lot of cancellations out there. Um, some big football matchups in the NFL. Thursday night football, Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson. Could not ask for a better matchup there. Oh, man. Tim, um... 
any any closing words before we close this one out? Yeah, again, check your GPSs. This takes five seconds. And just make sure you're not avoiding the toll roads because I found out the hard way you want to go ahead and pay the toll. And if you don't have the money and also yeah. found this out, they'll just bill you, which is convenient. So I applaud the highway well, infrastructure of our country. I just I want this on the record. Like I, I would take it most of our listeners aren't cheapskates like yourself because hey. you have to manually go in and turn that off. I plead the fifth. So I don't remember you. doing it. I could have had a good reason. You. There could have been an accident on a toll road, and I was avoiding it to be a responsible motorist. And now you probably feel terrible. No, I don't, actually. I'm going to call um, Podbean and complain. You know, that's, you that's our show for today. We are Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokie Sports. Um, we're going to bring you a basketball preview next week. Yes! Men's basketball. I don't know if they play a game before uh, we will do this show. Um, I think it's I, the 25th. I know the first game is coming so, up. you know, let's go ahead and say we're going to get that pot out before the 25th. Okay, the 25th is what like one of those wall to wall college basketball days, which are just yeah. glorious. So that Wednesday. Yeah, so we're going to talk some Hokies basketball. Let's do it. Um, looking forward to that. There is no Virginia Tech football game next weekend, so uh, it'll, it'll be a really good way to fill that void. Um, but yeah. And uh, we forgot to do it this week, but we'll bring you our Thanksgiving Power Weekends next week as well. So, I mean, it, it's going to be a big week. You're going to want to mm-hmm. be here with us. We appreciate you being here with us this week, even though we're a little bit late. Tim, why don't you tell everybody what they can do for us? Yeah, you can go ahead and leave us a five-star review on whatever pod service that you're listening to us on. I think Apple is where we've collected the most reviews. So if you want to go there, drop a five-star review, drop a little nice comment. Make us feel warm and fuzzy in a football season that has made us feel cold, dark, and alone. And I just wanted to shout out everybody following us on Twitter, interacting with us. We really appreciate all the messages. We appreciate the banter, the back and forth. We have a lot of fun. Even when you complain about some of the things we say, uh, no apologies, but we certainly empathize with you as bad takes are a problem and we will continue to pollute the timeline with them. Also wanted to give a shout out to our sponsors, Bell and Howell. Again, everybody check out the Tack Light if you get a chance. It is a light, um, but it's also very tactical. So you want that yeah. in your life. Yeah, Thank you. So, thanks, uh, thanks again. Go Hokies and uh, see you guys next week.